Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. Healthcare is undergoing a dramatic shift to value-based care. Katie Lands, who advises healthcare organizations on growth and innovation, talked to me about the forces driving this evolution. She also explained why home care providers play a key role in this model. Thank you for joining the podcast, Katie. I'm so glad to be here with you, Isa. You recently spoke, quite bluntly, actually, at the Home Care 100 conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, about the importance of home care providers understanding and adapting to this new value-based care world. What are home care providers not understanding or missing? Oh, man, it's just such a time of rapid change in healthcare in general. And if we look at how this has impacted our community-based activity, meaning home health, personal care hospice, we have been business as usual through around the hospice benefit, for example, around the reimbursement structures of home health. But what has happened in more recent years is there's this new movement toward at-risk healthcare or value-based healthcare or ACOs. And because of that, we're seeing different stakeholders and players come to the market. And it kind of changes often the payment structure and how we're reimbursed. It also can change our referral systems. And I don't think it's that we're not seeing it. I think we're all starting to feel the importance of doing the right things at the right time, meaning less unwanted, unnecessary things or utilization management, some might call it. But we aren't necessarily starting to adapt our businesses and the operational structures and products that come out of it to support this new era of healthcare that is focused on value. And so I think that that transformation is where we're all learning and we're, we're looking at new companies that are emerging because of this. And we aren't necessarily in a place where we fully know what to do right now. How would you define what value-based care means today at this point in time? Great question. I think if you look at the general definition is it's quality over cost, right, is what equals value. And so it is really about doing the right things for people at the right time. And when you do that, my experience is that you can often spend less and it needs to be coupled with really great conversations and avoiding those unwanted and unnecessary things. So what does that mean for our industry? It's about showcasing your value as an institution and how by implementing your services and or products that you've created, you can not only improve the quality of the patient experience and or the outcomes that your customers might need, but also that you're doing it for less money. You talked at the conference during the session about really the need for home care providers to, number one, show their value, and number two, put money on the table to show that they're really game and can be part of this. What exactly does that mean? You know, my feeling and philosophy on this has completely evolved. For those that don't know me, I had spent my early years at the bedside and in hospice and home care and as a nurse practitioner in the hospital doing palliative medicine. And later went on to work with an integrated health delivery system at UPMC, where we had a payer that also owned our health system or the health system owned a payer. And we were able to do some interesting projects that were related to value. What has translated in the last, I would say, two years 
is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid has now redefined the position on how they would like to see primary care interacting in our country. And so before that, we saw companies like Landmark, Aspire Health, of which I served as their chief clinical officer and helped build that clinical model. Also, other at-risk companies who went directly to the payers and got paid to manage these, what I would call the seriously ill population. And so those types of contracts, direct health plan, are not available anymore because Medicare Advantage has started giving primary care the ability to manage the full risk profile, meaning the full downside. And we can talk about what that means. What that means now, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation is following Medicare Advantage and saying, these have been really valuable innovations in healthcare, and we'd like to continue to demonstrate them. You've seen this in VBID. You've seen this now with ACO Reach. You've seen this with other models that have come out on chronic kidney care models, et cetera, out of the demonstration center. And they have stated, based off of the success of these models, that they are having a complete, they being the federal government, is having a complete refresh on their strategic plan to help move primary care. And they say 100%, Liza, of primary care to be in an accountable care relationship by 2030. Mm -hmm. So that means we're going to be seeing primary care really assuming a lot of the responsibility for the value of care for patients in our country. And that will downstream trickle to everything that we do in home care, hospice, and personal care. So what was sort of the big revelation that CMMI had then about these particular models and how they want to proceed moving forward? They have access to so much data. And I would add that data is public, Liza. So I encourage people to study these models and study the impact because they have to publish a lot of the outcomes from the certain models. You might not know exactly what the clinical model was, but you know the general. Now, not all of them have been successful, but the general trend is, is that by having, I would say, adapted models that both escalate upwards and downwards based off of patient need and goals, and by implementing lower cost interventions, perhaps it's a social worker that's needed instead of an MD, perhaps it's a nurse instead of a nurse practitioner. These models have been able to successfully showcase the fact that they not only cost less, but have better outcomes to some degree. And that by better outcomes, yes, it is about the spend. It will always be about that to some degree, but it's also about avoided, unwanted, unnecessary hospitalizations, unwanted care, loss of limbs, you know, for example, in the chronic kidney population, more days at home for patients who are frail seniors. And so because they've started to see the success of these models since the CMMI center has been built over the last 15 years almost now, they're more confident in building new models that help. And I would say that ACO REACH is an example of this, help transition the workforce in less risky models and prepare them for taking on full responsibility for their patient panel. And so I think that's really been the big shift is that we've seen via the private world of companies like Aspire, Prospero, Landmark, Oak Street, et cetera, ChinMed, take this full risk of patient needs and care and assume that it demonstrated that we are better and capable as practitioners to do better for people, meaning less production and transactional medicine and more quality medicine and nursing. Yeah. 
What role then does home care play in all of this? You talked about primary care and ACOs. What is a traditional home care provider? Where do they fit? They're really important part of this right now because A, they own a workforce that knows how to walk into a patient's home, which is a skill set in itself in the medical world, but walk into any patient's home and help meet their needs, be it a skill, be it an intervention, be it a diagnostic test, be it a rehabilitation. So they have these skills within their products that already exist. Now, how they implement it and the business models around it are not completely set up yet for value-based care. And so the opportunity, I believe, is you're seeing more and more bundled payments come out. I'm a primary care doctor, let's say, in the community, and I have increasing risk of my patient panels, meaning like I'm accountable in the event that they spend too much money that I'm going to have to write a check to either the health plan or the federal government. I'm going to look at home care and I'm going to say, hey, guys, this population is really hard for me to manage. I'm running a clinic over here and I could really use support in making sure that we aren't overutilizing the home health benefit or we aren't overdoing things. So that's the utilization management and data function, right? But then in addition to that, I need support for people who are in crisis. And I'm not talking about just hospital at home. I'm just talking about just maybe emergent to non-emergent support systems that help keep people on the phone and connect to primary care. I also need personal care. I need things that allow people to have less unwanted, unnecessary things and stay home. Now, how that's paid for can be very entrepreneurial. But what I believe primary care is going to want to hear from home care, they're going to say, would you be willing, if I give you these patients, would you be willing to help pay for some of the downside risk for this population? Meaning, in the event that we spent too much money, would you be willing to help cover that? I don't think that this is happening. I've interviewed lots of these at-risk companies, and this is what they're telling me. It's a no-brainer when somebody is willing to put skin in the game on the quality of their product. Interesting. At a time of historic workforce shortages, Medicare cuts that are not abating, is home care currently equipped to do that? to put skin in the game, as you say, or is this something that's somewhat aspirational? Depends on the agency and, you know, your ownership structure, where you are as an organization, what your board is looking to do, because there is also a time of M&A activity. So if you're thinking about creating the best value for your shareholders, if you're thinking about the longitudinal stickiness in your market, you're going to have to be in network that's going to really launch, you know, having contracts with health systems and payers that are defining your population and agreeing to feed you those patients is going to significantly increase the value of your organization. It's also going to increase the likelihood that you will not have a downturn or substitution competition that is built on top of you within those systems. So I believe it is time to start having our own strategic refreshes as boards as business owners, as executives, to think about what we have, the capabilities that we have within our market. Listen to those people around us that, quote, own the risk. Could it be a health system, an ACO, or another type of at-risk practice like ChenMed, Oak Street, Village MD? Talk to them. Ask them what the pain points are and what products that could be created. 
And then talk to your board about how you could create upstream referral in-network things with what you already have, what workforce that already exists. And I will tell you, to be honest, as a nurse myself, your workforce is sometimes happy to be doing this value-based work, happier doing value-based work than they are doing the traditional everyday checkboxy work that we might also have to do that is more governed, more accredited. This is innovation. And it's very sexy to a workforce that's tired and burnt out to have something new to work on. So I believe that there's opportunity. I also believe that you need to be very strategic about it and where you are in your sales cycle as a company and or your build cycle as a company and your overarching strategy and governance structure too. Yeah. You are founder and principal of a company called Topsite Partners. What do you do in your role? Are you basically going around to different companies, kind of sharing this message or helping companies somehow implement some of these tactics that you're talking about? I am. Topsite was born 2018 after we sold Aspire Health. I was at the time working at Anthem because we sold the company to Anthem, which is, you know, now Elevant and about 17 or 18 Blue Cross Blue Shield in America. It was a time where I had learned the power of entrepreneurial medicine in the community-based space, the power of building a group of financiers that will support that type of work, and then how using the right people, you can scale quickly and really demonstrate value. It's not rocket science. We know healthcare is broken. And some of the ways that we know how to fix it is not rocket science. We just have to build the business models around it and think like entrepreneurs. So TopSite was built with the intention to help support companies who are thinking about growth, innovation, and preparing for doing their perhaps even own demonstrations. I have clients that are de novo, meaning brand new startups. I have clients that are in the home health hospice industry that are building new products like we talked about. And then I have large scale clients like Dollar General who are thinking about rural health plays and how they really create access or the National Investment Center, who is for senior housing and thinking about how senior housing starts to implement. So those are the types of things that I advise on. If you ask me what top site will be five years from now, I have no idea. I'm just um, an N of one in this company. And the beauty of that is that we can work quickly and more affordably. And I can always tell the truth without getting in too much trouble, Liza. (laughs) (laughs) I know you, we talked, you got a tiny bit of backlash from your discussion because one of your talking points was show me the data, show me the money. And people may have been slightly taken aback by that. Yeah, not the first time I've said things that take people aback and it's okay. What I mean by show me the money is that in order to take risk, you often have to put money where your mouth is. Also, if you want to play today in this environment, even the federal government, CMMI, for those that are participating in the ACO reach, you have to write a check to showcase in the event that your population has too much unwanted, unnecessary, high expense things that you can pay the federal government back for the overexpense of those patients. So I believe that this is an area in healthcare where you have to help like, for example, if our primary care doctors that are referring to us in home health hospice personal care are having to upfront these checks, why would we not support them in order to be in network and help support the quality? So when I say show me the money, show me the data, I mean, show me that you can provide quality care for less cost and also show me the money, meaning like you're willing to be a true partner in at-risk healthcare. 
and you're willing to even pay up front, show them that you are willing to pay in the event that they're at too much expense. Is that risky? Yes, but you can't say that you want to do value-based health care without taking risk. And my gosh, if anybody knows how to take care of people in the home, we do. So I believe it's just time to change our business models. I got a little flack because it's kind of what we think about inducement. And that's where we pay, for example, doctors to send us patients. And we've heard a lot of that, especially in home health and hospice in the past, that people have atypical relationships with certain groups. I'm not talking about pay to play like that. I'm saying that you're willing to share in the upside and downside with a group who is being paid by Medicare or Medicare Advantage and take risk on you, your services. That's different. That's way different than paying somebody to just send you a referral cleanly and not have any quality outcome measures in your SLA agreements or that's not at all. So I think that that was the confusion, Liza. Mm -hmm. Is that the oh, difference yeah. between pay to play and at risk healthcare versus paying someone to refer patients to you? Right, right. Setting the record straight here. With the little amount of time we have left, I just want to go back to your mention of Dollar General. Why does Dollar General, re the retailer, want to know about value-based care? Gosh, if you follow what's happening right now in healthcare, let's just look at Amazon, Walmart, any of the big retailers, Walgreens, CVS, they are purchasing primary care right now, specifically at-risk primary care. And if you just Google it, look it up, want, like Amazon One Medical, Walmart, Village MD, the, and then the recent transaction with Oak Street, I believe they're doing this in hopes that they can build out a lot of core services for their customers. Now, Dollar General has a little bit of a different viewpoint. 87% of Americans live within five miles of a Dollar General, nearly nine out of 10 hours. That's insane. Of their growing stores that they're in the I think above 19,000 now I believe they have fresh food and vegetables and over a third of those and they expect to have more in the food deserts of America the reason that Dollar General is looking at it yes they are first often followers of the strategic visions of many of their competitors but it's more than that to them I mean I shouldn't speak on their behalf but they have really great and right data about their shoppers and what they are hearing from their shoppers and communities is that they need more access to quality health care. They don't want their shoppers and their communities to have to go into the city to receive access for a sore throat or an antibiotic that they desperately need or even mental health or they want to really think through how to support the communities that exist and shop and specifically the women who are caregiving parents and children and going bankrupt potentially over healthcare costs and access. When those women break, the community breaks. And Dollar General is very committed to figuring out how to keep communities whole, specifically in rural America and beyond. But they have a committed effort to this. And there are several, I want to, there are a few of us that are advising the company and they're doing a lot of cool innovations within right now to figure out the right models for rural healthcare because it looks different than clinic-based care in the cities, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I look forward to learning more about what you're up to. And I know <laughs> there's going to be plenty of exciting announcements and developments ahead. So let's keep in touch. Liza, thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for creating a space via McKnight for allowing people like myself to talk the truth. I really appreciate it. That was Katie Lands, founder and principal of Topside Partners. 
Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com. 